And please remain standing and turn your Bibles to Lamentations. To Lamentations chapter 4. As right after Jeremiah. Lamentations chapter 4. I'll be reading all of Lamentations 4 here. So please remain standing if you are able, but if you are not able, that is understandable, you may sit. But Lamentations 4. How the gold has grown dim. How the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of a potter's hands. Even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel, like the ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives to them. Those who are once feasted on delicacies perish in the streets. Those who were brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. The chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment, and no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin has shriveled on their bones and has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword than the victims of hunger, who wasted away, pierced by the lack of the fruits of the field. The hands of compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food during the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord gave full vent to his anger. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. The kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets and the iniquities of her priests, who shed in the midst of her the blood of the righteous. They wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried on them. Away, away, do not touch. So they became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. Our eyes failed ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. They dogged our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end drew near. Our days were numbered, for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles in the heavens. They chased us on the mountains. They lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish 
He will uncover your sins. Blessed be God's word. You may be seated. For those who are not familiar with Lamentations, and we have been out of Lamentations for a little while now, it may be simply described as laments for the temple and for God's people. This is the theme that is continuing throughout Lamentations. But laments for the temple are, for us, as a, compared to laments for people, harder for us to understand. Yet really, they are actually intimately related Israel's people had been exiled and forsaken into a foreign power, Babylon. But why was their exile lamentable? It was not because they loved their land so much, they did, but because it was exile from the temple and God's presence, which is all goodness and glory and blessing. They had been exiled from God himself in their exile to Babylon. And what's worse, the temple had been utterly destroyed. Lamentations revolves around this, these questions. Will our exile end? Will we ever be forgiven? And will we ever be in God's presence again? In Lamentations 4, Jeremiah meditates on these questions, on this exile and its consequences, its causes, and whether Judah has any hope to be in his presence again. And so, as we get into our text, we start in verse 1 and go to verse 11 for this first section. Jeremiah is lamenting for the destruction of society, individual, familial, and spiritual. This is verses 1 through 11. Although, as we have seen, the destruction of the temple was a great tragedy and one that Jeremiah has lamented a great deal in the book of Lamentations, his lament of the temple is now equal, it seems, with his next lament. Lament the death of those made in the image of God, especially of children. He compares them with gold here in verse 1. How the gold has grown dim, how the pure gold is changed. The holy stones lie scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion worth their weight in fine gold. How they are regarded as earthen pots, the work of potter's hands. And although the gold vessels of the temple were indeed taken and they were scattered, and the temple stones were scattered as well, the living stones of the temple, that is the people of God, were scattered those who trusted in the Lord, and they were trampled down. The precious gold of human life was condemned by the unjust. As Jeremiah reveals in verses 3 through 4, 3, even jackals offer the breast. They nurse their young, but the daughter of my people has become cruel. Like the ostriches in the wilderness, the tongue of the nursing infant sticks to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The children beg for food, but no one gives it to them. Ostriches were known in the ancient world for their cruelty to their young, leaving them to die if they didn't suit their mothers. Job 39, 14 says this as well. She leaves her eggs to the earth and forgets that a foot may crush them. 
She deals cruelly with her young because God has made her forget wisdom. And she has given her, rather, and has given her no share in understanding. Ostriches were known for, and are still known for, simply leaving their, their eggs around in any place, open to the world, leaving them open to predators. Jackals and ostriches, by the way, as they are always almost in Scripture, together, are often taken together because they are showing what is desolate, what has been forsaken by God. Isaiah 34, 13 says this, Thorns shall grow over its strongholds, nettles and thistles in its fortresses. It shall be the haunt of jackals and ostriches. They were forsaken of the Lord. And this is a horrible judgment against Israel. Because not only were there ostriches and jackals in Jerusalem, but he compares the women with ostriches. The daughters of Jerusalem were ostriches, or were ostriches to Jeremiah. This is one of the most horrific judgments of God's people that we see in this, in this chapter, to make women cruel mothers. Why did God do this? God had simply given the women what they desired at that time. They wanted to make cruelty their right and have the right over life and death. And in getting their desire, they found out that they were making a hell of their own making. Greg Moore says this of this chapter, God had given Judah over to toxic femininity as a judgment. These women desired and did not have, so they murdered, says James 4.2, as those who desire and do not have always do. Jeremiah had warned them that their disregard of human life, of the life of children whom they sacrificed to idols, would be judged harshly by God. So that Jeremiah says in verses 10 through 11, as the full revelation of his wrath is shown against child sacrifice, the hands of the compassionate women have boiled their own children. They became their food. During the destruction of the daughter of my people, the Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. Now the people of Judah boiled their own children for food as a fulfillment of the curse that Jeremiah placed before them in Jeremiah 7 from Deuteronomy 28. For the sons of Judah have done evil, detestable things. They have burned their sons and their daughters in the fire. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, and I will silence in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth, the voice of children. God brought against them the curse of Deuteronomy 28. You shall eat the fruit of your womb, the flesh of your sons and daughters. Up until this point of, of God's judgment of his people, people had killed their children because in the years prior to Jerusalem's destruction, they sacrificed to the gods of their stomach of success, of independence, of desire for wealth, and of fame. And God gave them up to their own sins. Now, it is not any different for these ostriches as then. Instead of offering up their children as food for their gods, so that they might feed their stomach and their selfish desires as they did before, now God cuts out the middleman and showed them what they were actually doing in those events. When they sacrificed their children, horrible murder and cannibalism. No longer would the sterile veneer of a furnace separate these people from the reality of their sin. 
This was abortion. It had always been this way. That's what it always will be. Philippians tells us of the enemies of Christ that their God is their stomach. People may attempt to sanitize their sins in any number of ways, but the reality is that elective abortion is cannibalism for the God of the stomach, the God of the desires. And God will punish it appropriately as he did for Jerusalem. And if there's no repentance, may God grant repentance towards women and men who have aborted their children. Because God is so wrathful to this evil that he says in verse 11, The Lord gave full vent to his wrath. He poured out his hot anger, and he kindled a fire in Zion that consumed its foundations. This was for the sins of her prophets, the iniquities of her priests. We see here, mother giving up their children for their stomach. It was not only, this was not only the breakdown, one breakdown of society, but there was great other breakdowns of society that he shows here. And he details these things in verses 5 through 9. This is the second societal breakdown, the breakdown of the royal class. As we've been looking at mothers and of normal men and women, he now moves on to those of the high class, showing the whole society has broken down. Those who once feasted in delicacies perish in the streets. Those who are brought up in purple embrace ash heaps. For the chastisement of the daughter of my people has been greater than the punishment of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment. And no hands were wrung for her. Her princes were purer than snow, whiter than milk. Their bodies were more ruddy than coral. The beauty of their form was like sapphire. Now their face is blacker than soot. They are not recognized in the streets. Their skin is shriveled on their bones. It has become as dry as wood. Happier were the victims of the sword and the victims of hunger who wasted away, pierced by the lack of fruits of the field. This Judgment came upon them as well because of the curses of Deuteronomy 28. This curse caused the best and the brightest of their culture to be judged, to be no more, to have nothing in them and to shrivel to nothingness, wasting away in hunger. There is nothing to eat because God has caused the destruction of Jerusalem as he promised. It was certainly disobedience which had brought Israel to this state of utter societal collapse from top to bottom. Jeremiah ends his lament upon the destruction of society at both its highest levels and its lowest, and he moves the cause of all this. Jeremiah pins the greatest responsibility for all these consequences of sin, the greatest responsibility of cause for this downfall upon one specific group of people in verses 12 through 17, those in power, especially those in spiritual power, the prophets and the priests. So as we go to the second, the cause of the destruction of society, verses 12 through 17. Usurping kings, lying prophets, and unfaithful priests. We see this, these three, especially in verses 12 through 13 and 20, and the people's trust in their own king. 12, the kings of the earth did not believe, nor any of the inhabitants of the world, that foe or enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. This was for the sins of her prophets, and the iniquities of her priests who shed in the midst of her the blood of the, of the righteous. And verse 20, speaking of the king, the breath of our nostrils, the Lord's anointed, that is God's king, was captured in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow we shall live among the nations. So going to the first cause, 
in that verse 20, the king, the king arrogantly told his people that the walls of Jerusalem would not fall. We saw this in, in verse 12, that they had, they had no idea, they never thought that it would ever fall. Indeed, it was a great stronghold of the ancient world and had almost never fallen except to Jerusalem, except to, rather, Israel themselves. And in fact, however, did fall. Those, those, uh, uh, those very high and very well-made walls fell by God's power. We see this especially in verse 12. The king told his people that Egypt and, and other allies, which Israel, Israel was told never to have made, would come to their aid in need. They, in fact, did not come, as we see in history. We see in Lamentations 4 and verse 17. Our eyes failed, ever watching vainly for help. In our watching, we watched for a nation which could not save. The kings of Israel were supposed to be defenders of Israel from their oppressors, and yet they were in bed with godless Egypt, as if they would defend them rather than the Lord. Wasn't it Egypt who had enslaved them and betrayed them by pursuing them to the Red Sea, even after letting them go? Yet the kings had taught Israel that they ought to look to other nations for help, to other political nations, other political people for help, instead of looking to their true king, Yahweh, the Lord of hosts. Christians should take this to heart. Christians should not be people who look to nations or to politicians for help. We don't look even to politicians and kings and presidents for help in our own day. We look to God. If you find yourself trusting more in the workings of one political party as opposed to another, or political parties more than you look to, to the Lord Jesus Christ, then you have done wrong and not to repent. Their eyes went blind, these Israelites, from looking, ever looking, ever watching for help from kings. The promises of kings do fail, brothers and sisters whether their own or from their so-called allies, they ought to have looked to their God, whose promises do not fail. For if God is for us, who can be against us? And so he turns to causes number two and three as well, as the prophets and the priests. So how could they have trusted in their God, it seems? The people who were not only led by usurping kings who caused them and, and guided them to trust into in these Egyptian kings, but they were also brought along by blind guides, false prophets and priests, as we see in verses 14 through 16. Judah's blindness is attributed first to the lying priests and prophets that they trusted in. Verse 14, they wandered blind through the streets. They were so defiled with blood that no one was able to touch their garments. Away, unclean, people cried to them. Away, do not touch. They became fugitives and wanderers. People said among the nations, they shall stay with us no longer. The Lord himself has scattered them. He will regard them no more. No honor was shown to the priests, no favor to the elders. What they had been before exile, just as with those who sacrificed their children to idols before exile, what these prophets and priests had really been before exile is now revealed. They were blind guides, unclean, filled with unclean blood, of an entire nation, like abortion to the women of Israel, now the men of Israel and the high people of Israel will see their sin truly. God always, sooner or later, will reveal our sin to us. 
I hope it is during this life and not the next. Preachers ought to know this well in their own lives as well. Although it may not seem it, the pulpit is an incredibly weighty place to stand. If preachers do not speak God's words, but the words of their own imaginations, and then they heap upon themselves words of judgment and the possibility of the death of entire nations. Prophets are not to speak their will, brothers and sisters, and neither are pastors, blinded by pride. And nor are they to speak what the people want to hear, blinded by their own sin and desires. Prophets are to speak only the will of God and nothing more than this. So as we see, prophet, priest, and king failed in their duty. As we go from the causes to third, the causes for their hope. As we turn from the causes of their downfall to the causes of their hope. God's promise that their exile will not be forever. Verse 22. The cause of their hope, that God's promise that they will not have exile forever. Verse 22. How like Jerusalem we are, however, brothers and sisters. After so much judgment, after just curses for disobedience in every part of society, is there any hope, any hope at all for Judah and the spiritual leaders? How like Jerusalem we are. Christian leaders have looked upon sin and said nothing for far too long. Have they not have not opposed sin as they ought? And have you minimized the importance of elders or deacons so that they could live the life that they wish? It's helpful to remember that these types of sins of those who are in upper or lower positions of authority are not just for Israel. If you have hated your brother or your sister, your mother or your father, your wife or your husband, your child or your neighbor, then you have murdered them in your heart, says Jesus Christ. We look at lists like this in Lamentations 4, these these causes for the downfall of Israel, and we cringe at the depths of depravity, but we ought also to see ourselves. If we were given opportunities, we would do these things. Were we not held back by the Lord and his grace? We have abused our positions of authority. And we have too often desired that God's kingdom was ruled by men, by politicians, and not God himself. Ultimately, we want control of God for our own purposes. We want to control our family for our own benefits. We want to take other gods on the side because we don't think that God has enough for us or that he's completely just, just like these Israelites. And although we can't escape him, we love our sin often more than we think How like Jerusalem we are, the Jerusalem that is revealed here. Which brings us to verses 21 through 22, which are an abrupt change from the despair that we have found through verses 1 through 20 to hope in God. Verse 21, Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. But to you also the cup shall pass. You shall become drunk and strip yourself bare. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. But your iniquity, O daughter of Edom, he will punish. He will uncover your sins. He promises here to punish Edom, who had been from the very beginning of their their time in the land, and even before a thorn in their side. Even before Egypt, Edom had been an enemy. And for all their sin as well, God says that he will bring them back. Israel will be brought back to the nation nation that was promised to them. For all the weakness of 
Judah and Jerusalem to the horrible acts of blasphemy against God. God says to them, the punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. He will keep you in exile no longer. All Judah's sins could not overcome God's promises. For God never changes, and his people will surely return to him just as he promised. God's punishments have an end, brothers and sisters, and he will always bring his people back into his presence. The temple was gone for a while. They were in exile for a while, but they were brought back, those who had faith in him. If you are currently weak from suffering under some continual sin, like these Jerusalem people, I'm sure, were. If you are not as holy as you like as these Jerusalem people were. If you are more like Jerusalem than Christ, then take heart that God does not punish from the heart, but he is tender and sees you through the lens of his son. He seeks to restore you from exile, and if you are one of his, he will infallibly succeed. Your exile well, shall be no longer. I hope you who are caught in some sin will take these words to heart. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished and is accomplished in Christ. And he will keep you in exile no longer and bring you into his presence. There is a great need of repentance in your life if you are caught in sin. We must not believe in blind guides who may take us somewhere else and say otherwise. There's a great deal of prayer and self-watch which is required, but take it to heart that for those who are in Christ Jesus, the Holy Spirit does this in you. He changes you and never fails and draws you to himself out of exile. No Christian, just like sinful Israel, can long remain under the fatherly punishments of God without change. Change to godliness and repentance as has been shown to be the case as we, if we continue on in, in these books, these historical books, we see this in Israel, in Judah. They come back to the Lord full-heartedly. can no longer remain under the punishments of God without change. Your sanctification will progress, and the punishment for sin, which God used for you to progress towards more joy and life in Christ, will cease Just as he did for Israel, he will remove the causes of your sin, though it may be painful, and restore you and have mercy upon you. Your exile will end. Be encouraged, brothers and sisters, because Christ was exiled outside of the camp. He was exiled for us when he was on the cross. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was punished without pity by our great Lord, like God the Father without any eye towards his growth. Christ opened the door for God to be tender with us. It is because of Christ that we have any encouragement and hope at all. Let us take what Jeremiah says to heart here and repent of our sins and take what God says to heart of his mercy to the repentant. The punishment of your iniquity, O daughter of Zion, is accomplished. He will keep you in exile no longer. Let us repent of our sins But we have great hope that our temporal punishments and certain hope that our eternal punishments will end. Your punishments can end because they did not end for Christ, who took the mysteriously eternal wrath of God on the cross. 
that although Israel and Jerusalem ought to have been exiled for all eternity for these horrible sins, these horrible causes of their exile, they were not because of the mercy of Christ, the mercy which was purchased by Christ. But Jesus did not only die, he rose again for our joy. Our eternal communion is secure with Jesus Christ in eternity. We no longer have a mere temple on earth that secures our time, our presence with the Lord be in glory with him forever is what he has accomplished in Christ because of his resurrection, ascension, and intercession. Because of his work, we do not need to look to prophet, priests, and kings which might lead us wrong ways, but we look to Christ, our true prophet, priest, and king. He will be with us even to the end of the age. And although we do not see him now, we will see him soon. Your exile from God's presence will end. And in this life, let's not sin any longer in our own created exile of sin, but go to God, our good Father, and not to men for hope and forgiveness. Our great King, our prophet and priest, his anger is but for a moment, but he has promised that his steadfast love, even for us sinners, will never fail Our sin cannot overcome God's promises to save the repentant sinner, brothers and sisters, and nothing will overcome his promises because all the promises are yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Your exile will end, brothers and sisters, in Christ. Let us have faith in him. Let us go to him in prayer. Lord, we thank you that you have destroyed the work of the devil that we are, although we once were children of wrath, now considered your people, that you will say to us because of the work of Christ, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, as we have the Holy Spirit of Jesus Christ within us, may we walk in the way that he has brought for us. May we walk in holiness. We pray that we would walk in him. But Lord, we pray that we would look to the promises that God has given us, promises purchased by Christ that our exile will end. Lord, indeed, the punishment is all fulfilled. It is accomplished in Christ. We pray, Lord, that soon we would see the fullness of your kingdom and that we would worship you in your heavenly temple that you have made that will never be destroyed and have blessedness forever. Come soon, O Lord, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.